Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we remember Adam West, tease Black Panther, begin to forge the dark days ahead, and meet Marvel's new defenders. Stay tuned for all this and more! That's right, everybody. Welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. It is that time of the week where we invade your ear holes. I'm David. That's Nick. You're the listening audience. And this is a good time to be had by all. Nick just snuck out of the, the podcast. I'm here on my own. Whew. Okay. It's okay, people. Don't panic. Everybody be calm. Very, very no, no, I'm back. Gonna... I'm oh, back. Whew. okay. Thank God. Warning. Did you say anything bad about me? No. Oh, nope. There's other music playing that shouldn't be. Don't worry. We're good. Uh, Nick, I have to tell you something that happened today in my day. I want you to strap in for a little story here. Oh, gosh. So I was, at, right. I was at the grocery store purchasing groceries as one does. No, listen. And I was coming okay. out of the frozen food section and I took a right. And apparently when I took this right, I stepped into a time portal a black hole of sorts that bridges, uh, I guess black hole bridges space. This is a black hole of time because I emerged then at some point in the 1990s. And I know this fact because staring me in the face was a display of Zima. What the heck is Zima? Zima is a clear beverage, alcoholic in nature, I assume. Uh, That is a... uh, Zima Clear Malt is a clear, lightly carbonated alcoholic beverage made and distributed by Coors. Introduced in 1993, discontinued in 2008, and now uh, reappears every now and then. Related products, this should keep people in Smirnoff Ice. Do you uh, don't, first you don't, off, you don't remember you were Zima? A child, you were a child Which is why, in the 90s. Yes, yes, and here's the thing, like, I have never, that's why I was like convinced that I had to have gone back in time because I checked. I'm like, I'm still a 28 year old man, and that's Zima. See, I how, a lot I, more of this. I, how did you even know about alcoholic beverage brands when in the 90s? In the 90s, you were at most in the beginning, you were in elementary school. At the very least, you finished the 90s in like the sixth grade. You you don't have like a, a cultural knowledge of stuff that was around in the nineties. Um, alcohol wasn't allowed in the home, so I had no idea what brands were there. Oh, okay. This is a thing we can dive into. Why not? Are you Mormon? I'm not Mormon. Uh, though I did just read that Miller Coors announced on June second, twenty seventeen, that there would be a limited release of Zima beginning July fourth weekend. So apparently, your grocery store got it sooner. I don't know if it necessarily got it early. Phil Rude, who I know listens to this show. Hi, Phil. He delivers beer for a living. I saw him posting about the fact that he was going to deliver some Zima. Phil, did they break street date? Can I get this Kroger closed down? Are we going to go in here like this is uh, this is the, the time 
which alcohol was not allowed. Prohibition found the word. We're going to go in there and we're going to bust up those crates of Canadian whiskey. Let me know, Phil. We're going to get to the bottom of this. See, a lot more of this bit relied on you understanding what Zima was. And it's really, I'm just, I don't want to say that I'm disappointed, but I can't think of a better word. Um, I'm sorry, my apparently Mormon upbringing did not aid you in your sense of humor. Yeah, how does so? How does it feel discovering your Mormon in this moment? I mean, like I was, I'm shocked to be honest, because I feel like other than alcohol not being in the home, we don't follow any other Mormon traditions. Was, I don't wear funny secret underwear. That, they're uh, the funny secret underwear ones, right? I'm I'm not sure. I'm not Mormon enough to answer that. Uh, was coffee allowed? But in? you knew about an alcohol brand in the nineties. That's, There's baby David I, I don't a bunch of Zima. I do Just not think David. I don't think these these two things are one and one in comparison. Did was coffee drinking allowed in your house? Um yes, but I didn't like coffee after a particularly traumatic experience with it. Ooh. I mean, I'm over the trauma now, but like yeah, Now we're going to get like before get, we get into the news, tell us your your traumatic bean experience. Bean okay. bean water. So, uh, when I was in kindergarten, or just prior to starting kindergarten, we Bored moved already. on. That's my line. I know, I was using you it against suck. you. Um, I was moving on to a farm, and um, the water hadn't been turned on yet. Um, again, I'm just about to go into kindergarten. One of my older brothers, his girlfriend at the time, um, was like helping us move, I guess. I don't really remember. We were, But I believe we were, there was a particular day where we were moving in. I was really thirsty. Um, apparently, there was no water about. And she hands me what ended up being like a coffee mug. A Zima. But I <laughs> what ended up being Zima, <laughs> Dave's version of the story. But I had never seen a coffee mug before. And she handed it to me and was like, oh, you're thirsty? Here, try this. She must have been an idiot. I'm sorry. But you're like, <laughs> it's hot. I'm, I'm like thirsty. You give someone coffee. Um, but yeah, she gave me coffee. So I'm like. She doesn't tell me what it is, so like I take a sip of it. I mean, maybe she told me it is. It was freaking over twenty years ago. Um, Twenty-five. No, doesn't matter. Details, uh, I, anyway, details do not matter sip. here. Take I a took sip. a sip. I didn't like it, and uh, I spit it out. And I just never like I've I've tried coffee flavored things and co- like taking sips and stuff of coffee since coffee since then, but I just I can't get over the taste. I've just never liked it. And um, that's the correct reaction because coffee is disgusting. People, you're lying to yourselves. So many people drink it. Yeah, and they're wrong. We should get ro- yeah. After I just tell all these people that they're wrong, let's get rolling on the uh, podcast episode. Welcome everybody to episode. 131 i correctly incorrectly numbered uh last week's episode so this is actually 131 that episode is 130 you didn't miss anything because it's happening right now and let's get on to the news our top story today after a disappointing <laughs> summer humpty dumpty has a great fall our first news item you've probably already heard and it's very sad for everybody as Adam West, TV's Batman, has passed away at the age of 88. Aww. Uh, I, that aww may have sounded a little condescending, but it was, it was true remorse. I was actually very sad when I heard this news. Um, I've only seen a handful of the 66 Batman episodes, 
it's an extremely ridiculous and goofy show, but not without its charm. And Adam West is one of those sort of uh, William Shatner kind of guys who he has a certain style about him and did the one thing he did really, really well. And, you know, I'm sad to see him go. <laughs> sad to see him go like he just and ended his contract, which he kind of did his contract with life. Oh. Um, being that Dave and I apparently are or I guess myself is incapable of being sensitive. That being said, it's very sad. It was very sad to hear of his passing. I too have a very limited um, engagement with, you know, the, the Batman 66 era. Uh, I've seen like bits from the movie. Um, and I, but I think like I, I more introduced Adam West through family guy actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that was, that was when, cause I guess he's, he was one of those actors again, like William Shatner who didn't really want to embrace you know, with the, the celebrity of being this iconic character and being a little goofy and so rejected it for a long time. So that was more of like when he accepted that he was kind of a joke and took ownership of it. And I thought, yeah, his time in family guy was great. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's sad. He's had a lot of great, you know, he is, he is, he made a cultural impact, large or small, doesn't matter. You know, he was, um, an actor, I actually don't have a whole lot to say on this, just that it is sad and it's a, it's a blow for the comic and pop culture uh, and Batman industry. Batman is big enough to be his own industry. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, condolences to family and friends and for everyone uh, that he had impacted in some way. Yep. And of course people, if, if you, if you've not seen any of the 66 Batman stuff, you should absolutely watch it and realize that they're kind of making fun of some of the goofier stuff of Batman. It's kind of a parody spoof stuff. Uh, so don't take it all too seriously. It really does. It, it really is fun in its own way. And what I guess I don't, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was saying, I don't, I don't know. I know they would have been in the middle. Well, 66. So we would have been into the swing of the soldier age. Like Marvel's come out at this point. The, the resurgence with, you know, Barry Allen, Hal Jordan era, Silver Age of DC Comics. Um, I don't know what Batman was like at that point. Like, he, were his well, this, comics also goofy? I don't think he quite got got the, to the, like, the darker stuff yet. There was definitely some goofiness because this was also the height of the comics code where they couldn't really depict a lot of crime. You couldn't have them fighting monsters and stuff. It was like, like it, it was a weird time in comics and uh, I've, I've been going through Grant Morrison's Super Gods recently, and he talks a lot about how, like, the Silver Age kind of neutered comics, and it turned them kind of into a very weird time, very introspective and, and weirdly psychological. One last thing I was yeah. going to say about... Yeah, one last thing I was going to say about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. One last thing. One last thing I was going to say about Adam West. I saw this great Reddit post that said that all of the still alive Batman should go to Adam West's funeral, like all living presidents do to a, a president who has passed on. So you'd have like Michael Keaton, uh, Ben Affleck, Christian Bale, George Clooney, Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer all show up there. And, uh, well, and you know, we, we can throw Kevin Conroy in there. The guys had more than enough time as Batman to earn yep. that title. Yeah, they just yeah. they should go to his funeral to remember him. I still, man, I can't believe he was. And they should be dressed hunt. as bat as their their respective Batman. That's true. Yeah, though Kevin Conroy is gonna have have to have on like twenty five costumes. 
He's, well, he's obviously most fondly remembered it with the Kevin Conroy as the animated Batman series. So if you get just it's some crappy animated series version of the costume, which he was uh, granted, I'm sure all these costumes are either been auctioned off or in you know Hollywood storage and would you know it's not going to happen, but it would be interesting. Yeah, if it did. There's also there's a great episode of the animated series with Adam West. Uh, it's something about the Great Ghost is the character he plays. Uh, but Adam West, you will be missed, and you will be remembered forever for the Bat Tusi, as well as many other things in your the illustrious. Bat what? The Bat Tusi is the dance he did. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I mostly remember him for some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Oh, the film, yeah, yeah, and it's really sad because because of all the weird distribution rights or, or not distribution, but the weird, like, uh, pub, not publication. I, I, anyway, the weird rights surrounding the 66 TV show, it's not really going to show up anywhere. Cause it was like produced by Paramount shown on CBS, but owned by Warner brothers. So all the rights are just a mess and it's not really possible to, to get those anywhere. Oh, speaking of things that don't seem to be a mess though. Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4 had a gameplay trailer reveal at E3 this last weekend. And I gotta say, things are looking pretty good. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be cautiously optimistic. You know, we saw a uh, about a nine-minute video of Spider-Man clearing out a warehouse of bad guys and, and a little bit of what the combat's going to look like. Just completely to be upfront with things it looks a lot like the the batman arkham games like there's you know you're jumping from hiding spot to hiding spot you are taking out guards one by one using various methods and devices uh the combat also seems very similar to that not to say that these are these are bad things if this game can do for spider-man what those games did for batman that's awesome mm-hmm. but it's like it's hard not to see the similarities yeah, it's uh, I haven't I do have um, the uh, remastered Arkham uh, Asylum and Arkham City games in my queue, so to speak. Um, you know, ready to play. I did play a little bit of the first Arkham way back when, and I would agree. And I think that's been a pretty common sentiment from some folks in the interwebs um, about the comic. But like you said, well, Spider-Man and Batman are, you know, very different characters. There is certain um you know they're crime fighters they're both you know spider-man maybe isn't always known for his gadgets but this seems to be a game that's playing that up and in more recent times um the the comics have really played up the fact that you know spider-man is a genius and if he's smart like would craft certain gadgets especially around the webs and from a, a gameplay and combat perspective it makes the the gameplay more interesting if and instead of just sort of like i'm gonna web you and i'm gonna punch you you know what i mean like the scene right. where he you know, he pulls the crane thing to hit one guy, or he's got like the web bomb thing that like sticks to the wall and sucks mm-hmm. a guy in. Um, that stuff was pretty cool. Some people uh, offered some reservations on the QTEs, quick time events, where basically right. they're in the middle of a cinematic moment and you have to hit a certain button and um, to continue the scene or fail. Dave, what are your thoughts on QTEs, real quick? So, yeah, I know some people really despise them. I wouldn't say that I despise them. I do get why they feel a little bit less, uh, like, like there's a little bit less control. Um, 
I, I, I get the purpose of them in cinematic moments because it's hard to like it's hard to like script out these scenes and give players total control because players are gonna do a, one of a million things everybody's gonna play the game a little bit different uh, I think too many of them though can be a little bit uh, a little bit disarming uh, or it can be a completely different experience like you have the game. Uh, what's it called? Heavy Rain. Heavy Rain is pretty much just quick time events. That's like all that game is. But that like that game is also then very narratively focused, and they're trying to tell you a story. Uh, right. So for like an action game, yes, they can be. Especially like if a boss fight is just all quick time events, like you're just kind of chipping away at the boss until you get like a chance to like press a sequence of buttons. That does feel like a little bit cheap. Um, right. I guess all of it to say is it, quick time events do have their place. Uh, I just hope that like the scene they showed us, like they wanted to show, you know, probably a more cinematic moment of the game, which makes sense. But I would hate if like every single interaction in the game ends in a quick time event. Right. And I, they actually did say that they are trying to use QTEs fairly, pretty sparingly in the game, but they do want it to be a cinematic game. Like they've put a lot of effort in crafting their own Spider-Man universe uh, and narrative, you know, so I think story is going to be a major part of the game. And maybe it's because I grew up loving Shenmue, um, which is probably one of the precursors with uh, QTE, modern QTEs. Um, so I actually like doing it. I mean, I enjoy games like The Last of Us and on the Uncharted games that have, uh, I guess, a decent amount of QTE moments. But those are games like when I'm playing them, like I know going into them, you know, that they have a, that there are a cinematic narrative driven experience and they still have plenty of, you know, gunplay, you know, your typical mm -hmm. game action and all that. But when you're in a story moment, I like that it gives me a little bit of control over the narrative. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if they use them effectively, there's no reason why they can't work. And I, certainly it sounds like it's still going to be an open world environment. You're going to swing around and have all that kind of fun. Right. And I'm hoping the swinging is going to be like Spider-Man two, the game, which is still the best Spider-Man game so far. That's what everyone's, that's what everyone's saying. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, uh, one one thing, crossed. one thing though, like with, with superhero games, that's very difficult to do is making you feel the level of power that a superhero has. That's, a little more possible to do with Batman, who is a guy who can be killed by guns. It's really hard to do with Superman, who is a guy who can like lift buildings out of the ground. Cause you put that in a video game. It's like, people are going to try and lift buildings out of the ground because that's what the character can do. So it's like, right. how do you limit the character in a way that doesn't break immersion? But yeah. And, and also like give you the power to do it. So like quick time events, yes, makes sense for those displays of power, but they can also sort of remove the player from that the immersion as you said uh where you know the scenes where like you're running around you're fighting guys and or shooting webs at them like that that's the moments that you're feeling like the superhero and so if the as long as the game leans more towards that like i think they're going to be fine stuff's going to be great there i agree also real quick how do you feel about the costume i don't think we've talked about it on the show and if we have i forgot i'm okay with it it's fine i don't mm -hmm. know it's I the the white there's a lot of white but I don't really care that much. It's not my favorite costume, would, it's not the worst costume. Right. I would agree it's I at first like I don't think I hated it when it was first revealed, but I was like, "What?" But now like seeing this most recent trailer and just the time has passed and usually when time passes um non I I will emphasize non-significant controversy dies down. It's definitely grown on me. Um 
you know, and I'm sure like most Spider-Man games, they're going to give you a lot of different alternate costumes that you can use. So probably pretty soon to the game, you'll be able to switch to something more your tastes. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. but overall, it looks very cool. Uh, again, real quick, anything, because we're both in the video games, anything out of E3 besides this that caught your fancy? Oh, man. So I haven't taken the time to watch a lot of the trailers. There's a lot of, like, long gameplay trailers uh, that I just haven't really had time to dig into. Uh, Days Gone looks interesting. The new God of War. Probably the thing that looks the most fun to me, if I'm just, like, put on the spot right now, is Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> That Did just, you listen to the theme song for that game? It's fabulous. Yeah, it's, Why do I just say it like that? Because it is. It's true. There's no other word to describe it. Everything about that game that they've presented is just like is just wonderful and seems fun. Uh, and you can become a dinosaur or a frog. Like I am I'm all in on this game that I've seen barely anything on. Uh, so that's probably if just like kind of a quick thought, that's the thing that like interested me the most of course kingdom hearts 3 but you know i'm gonna be 80 by the time that comes out so i I don't take any trailers to heart uh (laughs) what about you uh it definitely felt like this e3 was almost just really a follow-up to last year where like we got the reveals and the teases of like days gone the new god of war and now we got more extended gameplay and, and, Mm -hmm. and more teasers there were some new you know new announcements um, the the remaster or, or remake or whatever of Shadow of Colossus. They're calling it a remake. Remake. You know, I watched the trailer for it. I I do. I technically. Oh, I borrowed it from my brother indefinitely, but I haven't really taken a lot of time to play it. So part of me is actually kind of interested in waiting until it's out on PS4 and getting the upgraded experience. Um, but as far as the game that most stuck out to me, um, I guess a, a two for Anthem, the new Bioware game, uh, yeah, and the that, uh, yeah. Assassin's Creed Origins. I've never played an Assassin's Creed game except for maybe two seconds at a friend's house. Um, you should. I've always wanted to get into the narrative. Like I've heard there's a, you know a couple gems in the series, but I also read that like Ubisoft was just pumping them out year like yep. year after year, yep. kind of like a Call of Duty, which to me sounds like it dilutes the quality that they make minor adjustments, but that you're not getting a, a new experience. But I guess with this one, they actually have. There hasn't been a main, I guess, quote unquote, Assassin's Creed game in like four, two or three years, uh, or this game's been at least been in development for four years. It's set in ancient Egypt, and it looks that I was watching the game trade play, gameplay trailer for it. And it looks fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, so. I like I like the Assassin's Creed games. I haven't played in one in a long time. If I were to say like, if you wanted, were interested in picking one up and checking it out, you can probably get. So there's the second game. Well, Assassin's Creed 2 has three games. All of them are pretty good. They tell a good... Um, like, the first two in the, are, like, really good. And the third one's okay. Combined all, it comes out to be pretty good. It tells, like, a nice, complete story of this character's life. And then Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, which is the pirate one, uh, is amazing. And it was kind of like these guys were, like... While they were developing... Uh, Assassin's Creed 3, this like team went off to the side and was like, hey, we're going to make a pirate game. Is, is that cool? Are, they, are you guys all right with that? And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. And ended up being just completely amazing. <laughs> uh, like the dude, the best part is just like sailing on the open sea while your crew is singing sea shanties. <laughs> and like, that, it sounds ridiculous, but it is the best. That that sounds pretty cool, actually. I, I've, I've had it, like I've almost purchased it a couple, Black Flag at least a couple times when it's on sales. And I know they um they did the the Ezio collection for Assassin's Ezio. Creed 2 yeah. and 2 
two and two three um so yeah. i mean i'll i'll keep those on my radar um but yeah I, and i know horizon zero dawn is you know a more recent game but like i couldn't help i was watching the assassin's creed origins trailer and being like like the, especially the way and i don't i don't necessarily think horizon zero dawn may not have done this first but like the when you're like scoping like when you're traveling around the world like there's a thing at the top of the screen that like as you turn if you're heading in the direction of like a town it'll tell you the town name mm-hmm. and they have that in origins so there's part of me that was like horizons are done is a very good game and i can see how its gameplay and its open world style could lend itself to an assassin's creed game so i don't really know where i'm going with this other than that it's cool also anthem you basically get to be iron man in a big open world jungle environment so that's cool too mm-hmm. but we're not here to only talk about video games we also like comics um shocking and um for i, I skipped uh, over a news story i'm realizing now you did so we're gonna swing back in comic related the black panther the first trailer for black Panther, marvel's black panther mm-hmm. uh has dropped and it looks great. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I try not to be super jazzed about trailers because trailers are going to show us you know, that they're there to sell us a product. And Marvel and and Warner Brothers have gotten pretty good, I would say, on both sides of the aisle of crafting trailers that make stuff look really good. But it's like hard to shake the feeling that like what we saw here does look really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't we didn't get to see much of the trailer. One thing that I do really like that it appears we saw, I mean, I love Andy Serkis being in stuff. Um, Andy Serkis is a, a great actor, and I, you know, I'd you i love to see him in more stuff where he's not just Caesar, though he has done great things with Caesar uh, from Planet of the Apes films. Um, I was going to say, oh yeah, so I like seeing that he's going to be in that. Uh, obviously, Chadwick Boseman's reprising his role and looks great in there. Uh, I like that we're getting kind of a, a expansion on what Martin Freeman's character is, because we have no idea, but apparently he's in this movie. Anyway, all this to say, I really like that the movie looks like it's taking place in Wakanda, and that's where like Wakanda. The, Wakanda. That's like where the focus of the story is going to be is Wakanda. It looks like a little bit personal, which I really, really like that they're not trying to make it too much of a bigger part of the at least from this trailer. This could all be a lie, but it's like it's not his diplomatic trip to New York where there's like a suddenly an attack and he's there to defend it because he's Black Panther and it's the MCU where everything happens in New York. Like, right. I, I like that things seem to be happening in this country and we're going to learn a lot about it. And that's super rad to me. Right, right. And I maybe just coming off the heels of Wonder Woman, but like I agree something that's more personal. Uh, and I mean, Black Panther compared to characters like, say, Wonder Woman or Superman, like he might have enhanced strength or agility and all that crap. But it's like he you wouldn't necessarily put him in just like an all out laser fest. You know, so I hope it doesn't, you know, devolve to devolve into that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 also ended in a light show. Um, so just yeah, something that's more like intimate between like him and like the villain, you know, that's more about their characters than stopping a bomb or some like weird plot device. Uh, I really hope that's where the film ends up going. Uh, also, the catchy music for the trailer was fantastic. Run the Jewels from well, was that Run the Jewels? Run okay. Run the Jewels is the group. The album is Run the Jewels Three. The song is Legend Has It. Yeah, I have this. I've never really listened to Run the Jewels, and then I heard this trailer, and I have not been able to stop listening to Run the Jewels since. <laughs> so thank you at least for that, uh, MCU, because, man, that's they're awesome. 
Uh, nice. Michael B. Jordan. They are rehabilitating another Human Torch from a Fantastic Four movie. I think he's, he's playing a villain. He's I mean, playing he's a not, villain. I don't yeah. think he's going to go on to have multiple roles in the universe, but I mean, right. Michael it's, B. Jordan is a great actor. It's an MCU movie, um, so he'll probably get killed off. Right. Which, yeah, if you're not the main hero, uh, you're, you're probably going to die. Um, but yeah, no, Black Panther is shaping it great. The world seems very vibrant. They have a pretty, it uh, seems from the trailer that they have yeah. a, a pretty cool idea of like, uh, or well realization of the world. Can't um, wait to see badass warrior chicks. Yeah, the only thing, and again, not to rag on Wonder Woman, there was the they kind of did like the the, the 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 clutch action scene of the trailer was him like leaping over the car in slow mo, and part of me part of me did kind of groan because a slow mo was so overdone in Wonder Woman, but also like it almost looked they were, like they were repeating the the car chase or the the Winter Soldier chase scene from Civil War where they're in like that yeah. highway tunnel or whatever. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, I didn't love that part cause you, because the suit was also super like that was super CGI'd. Yeah, it's just slow. I mean, slow mo with 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 something that's super CGI is. I mean, slow mo. I guess it's more or less always CGI. I, I suppose you could do CGI or slow mo on like actual exist. Like I mean, you can. They matter. they did a lot of practical slow motion in Wonder Woman. It wasn't all CGI. No, no, no. I I know that, but I mean. Like I'm just talking about specifically when you do slow mo on CGI, the fact that you're oh, slowing right, down right. on something that isn't real, yeah, is where it makes it a little more obvious in parts. Right. So hopefully that's and, not the overall indicator of the action. I no, mean, there was like the yeah. scene where he jumps down the guys in, like by the the jeeps or whatever. That was that was pretty cool. But we'll see. Overall, it seems like it has a pretty tight story. Um, but you know, trailers can be misleading. But I'm remaining optimistic. Mm-hmm. As and David, we'll mm-hmm. I'll let you tell the story because I'm done with this universe. <laughs> well, speaking more of movies coming out, the next X-Men film has been announced with some details. X-Men Dark Phoenix, of course, where you have Jennifer Lawrence, Michael Fassbender, and James McAvoy set to return with Simon Kinberg directing and it is set to be released November 2nd, 2018. Uh, some other characters who will be returning are Nicholas Holt, so who played Beast, and uh, Alexandra Ship, who played Storm, Sophie Turner, obviously, playing Jess, uh, Jean Grey, Ty Sheridan, the Cyclops, and Cody Smith-McPhee, Nightcrawler, who all appeared in X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, scanning through this right now, it does not look like there have been any additional characters added yet but it's an x-men movie they will cram in 17 by the films and and most of them will be cut left on the cutting room floor and have <laughs> bit roles and be like why are you even in this movie yeah let's yeah let's that's that you want you just want to get bitter about this nick you just want to go ahead and get your bitterness all out there all right it's not being directed by brian singer and i don't mean to rag on brian singer i just did not care for days of future past and it sounds like everything that i realized about days of future past was more readily apparent in apocalypse um which eventually i will watch so i don't mean to rag on a film that i haven't actually seen but it's uh, um, it's okay uh one this movie's gonna take place in the 90s uh which is fine but the fact is unless they find a way to really age up you know, at least Fassbender and McAvoy and Nicholas Holt, uh, and really the other kids because they're freaking teenagers in the 80s. And as soon as this movie takes at least like probably seven to ten years after Apocalypse, like they're not teenagers anymore; they're in their mid 
to late 20s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, they should not look the same as they did 10 years no, ago. No, no. And here's part of the solution. Don't be afraid to have your characters who are in full body makeup be in full body makeup just because it's Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt. Like, like I, I'm upset at this film because it's the Dark Phoenix saga, which means that Phoenix is going to be the villain, which means, like, here's another opportunity for Magneto to join up with the heroes. Uh, and, of course, like, we're going to have we're going to have Mystique there who's going to, in the end, somehow save the day. Like, right, and that's, and that's the problem. Like, one, I, I like Jennifer Lawrence. I, some people rag on her. I mean, she's popular. It's probably I like cool her. I'm hating her in these movies the longer it goes yeah, on. I agree, and I think it's... I imagine with Jennifer Lawrence as an, as an actress, you know, if I was her, you know, speaking for her, like, I'd want to be closer to the actual concept of Mystique, you know, that she's, like, a, an out-and-out villain, but, like, it's like they don't want to portray her in a bad light in these movies for some reason, so they keep giving her more of a heroic composure, and it's okay when, like, you deviate from a character's source material. I try not to get too bent out of shape of it with it, but, like... But when it's this obvious in your face. It's obvious in your face, and again, like, the fact that she can't exist in blue form, that she tends to default to you know actual jennifer lawrence face like it's just it's just blatant it's basically like movies where they constantly rip the character's mask off because you have to get the money shot on the character on the actor's face and and just even when it doesn't make sense in apocalypse she is blue two maybe three times like it's so rare that she's blue yeah it's pretty um yeah, and it's yeah. I mean Nicholas Holt, how how often was he actually in beast mode in that? Very rarely also from what I remember. It's like I found that this he, thing like, to suppress transforms back and forth. I found this thing to suppress my mutation, so I'm taking that. That's... Which he does in, in Days of Future Past as well. Right. Yeah. Stupid. Um yeah. and just like I and I, I love like again, I like Jennifer Lawrence, I like Michael Fassbender, I like James McAvoy, I like Nicholas Holt. I like the cast. Um, I don't like this is Simon Kingbury's first directorial debut. So that I mean, the overall direction remains to be seen. But like, I'm done with this trilogy of characters. I really just want them to refresh the whole universe because how this might tie in with new mutants. Like, I think Fox is kind of doing a laissez faire, like, I don't really care approach, which can have its advantages and disadvantages. But like, I, I think I want them to retire this iteration of the characters and just start fresh, start in modern day. Don't jump every 10 years like that. Just I it could be it could have worked out cool. But the fact that they didn't actually make them look any older to me breaks my immersion on top of the fact that I think the movies are just te- executed terribly. But I mean, I, you know, I like Days of Future Past. I thought Apocalypse had issues. This is a film that it seems like, you know, they're carrying some of the weaker stuff through from Apocalypse. Doesn't make me super excited. Uh, so it really, really, it all remains to be seen. We'll we'll see how things shake out. You know, I don't want to. Oh, one d- thing that d- came came on this. Apparently, Jessica Chastain is in talks to play the villain, which right now is being listed as uh, Empress Lalandra of the Shi'ar Empire, who factors in heavily to the orig- the actual Dark Phoenix saga in the comics. Granted, Lalandra is supposed to be a heroic character, so it'll be interesting how they actually, if they, how they utilize the Shi'ar um, in this movie. But again, I think again, I love superheroes. I I've enjoyed a lot of superhero movies, but there is a part of me that's kind of done with the light spectacle. And for a movie that's going to center around Dark Phoenix, 
I can only imagine compared to what the what the climax of Apocalypse looked like that this is going to be another light show. Yeah. You know, I almost like why wouldn't it be a light show given the cosmic stakes that they're playing with? But I don't know if that's going to do it with me. And who knows? We'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. We'll see how things shake out. Well, we're going to move on now so we can get into our reviews. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Oh, our our bumper for reviews is Adam West saying to the Batmobile, let's go. I just realized that. That's sad. Oh, Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us about Defenders number one. Uh, Defenders number one uh, by Brian Michael Bendis and David Marquez, who you might know from Civil War II, uh, Invincible Iron Man, or the uh, last uh, iteration of Ultimate Spider-Man with Miles Morales. Um, This is them taking the... um, Apparently, I'm trying to remember, I think there was an interview with Bendis where he basically said, like, this book has more or less been in, in, in progress before... Like defenders came together now he does if you remember the end of his new avengers run there's a last page tease with uh luke and jessica talk basically talking about reopening heroes for hire so i think this more or less is a heroes for hires book but i don't think they're going to do a lot of hiring they are just the defenders of new york city or the, the street level um but for those that have been following the netflix shows it's daredevil luke cage jessica jones and iron fist uh, i'm sure because it does take place in the comic universe they well actually they do in the first issue uh you know they tie in like black cat being the current king or queen pin of crime in new york um you know and it sounds like uh, other marvel universe mainstays will feature in and out of the book as time goes on I really like Brian Michael Bendis as a person. Um, I don't always love his comics. Uh, people usually say that he's at his best when it involves street level uh, and usually with solo characters of which he had a great run on Daredevil way back when. Um, but I kind of went into it being like, well, I really like David Marquez's art, but I'm usually burned, especially by first issues with Bendis. Who knows what I'm going to expect? I was actually pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it. One, Bendis was utilizing current continuity like Black Cat being the queen pin. Um, you know, but but the, the book felt tight. It felt like I was getting a lot out of it. There was, a, a to me, a questionable moment where, like, what is it? It starts with, it starts with basically Luke Cage walking down the street. He talks to a couple kids that notice him, and then he gets attacked. Um, and then it cuts to, like, the... Um, what Marvel does is kind of like that opening page where like they tell you like this is what the book's all about. This is like they usually usually it's like the you know previously in information, but like in that page it tells you like Luke Cage, you know, after Luke Cage being attacked, like it was almost like there was issue number two wedged in between the first, you know, like the third and fourth page of this book, and it's giving you the recap. And then it jumps to a part of the story where like everyone else has already been attacked. And they all kind of regroup at the hospital where Jessica Jones is. And I got to that point and I'm just kind of like, I, I missed something, right? So I, I kind of got the trick that like he entered, you know, opened up with Luke Cage, you know, didn't necessarily go through the all, necessarily have to go through it with every character being attacked. But the fact that like it jumps to that kind of previously in sort of page, giving me details that like, okay, that definitely did not just happen in the comic was a little weird. But once I got past that, I'm intrigued with what's going on. Um, basically, the conflict in this issue is a character named Diamondback, who I sounds like an old comics character, probably 
related with Luke Cage based on the context in the comics, who's quote unquote back from the dead. Uh, and he's basically trying to reclaim his uh, territory in New York and more or less threatens Black Cat for her territory. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed it. Like there's a, a stronger part of me that wants to read the next issue than doesn't want to read the next issue. The art by David Marquez was amazing. Uh, and I like that something that they couldn't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily be able to do in the show because the show's getting these characters together for the first time in the comic. These are all characters that have had more or less longstanding relationships, whether it's the friendship between Luke and Iron Fist or the fact that they all know Daredevil uh, or, you know, and obviously Luke and Jessica Jones. Um, but there's a part where, okay, they've all been attacked individually. Why? So, you know, they're, they're working together to try and figure it out. But in the moment, you know, uh, Luke is off on his own, but Daredevil's with uh, Iron Fist and Jess. And he's just kind of like, you know, I've been thinking for a while, like, you know, we like the Avengers are a thing. Like, they're dealing with all the stuff up there. Like, we should really be the guys down here. Like, because they have this dynamic is kind of honestly cheesy, but, you know, it, it might not seem as dramatic as a reason for them assembling, but just like basically for more or less friends and, and colleagues, just being like, you know what? Yeah, we should uh, really create this like after work group and do this thing was it made sense so overall uh pleasantly surprised by the issue um you know i'll, I'll try and uh pick up the, the the following issues and maybe i'll touch back on it in the future all right sounds good well this week i checked out new superman number 12 where we're currently at in the story is that keenan kang has discovered his newly uh keenan kong, Kenan kong my bad what Wait, I'm pretty sure it's Kang. Or, are you sure it's not Keenan and Kel? Ha. He discovered his super speed, and while having a race with the Flash of China, they run into this giant turtle monster who has been infected with the Doomsday Virus that is uh, just trying to destroy Shanghai. Of course, all their attacks aren't really doing much because the Doomsday Virus allows him to absorb energy and just get bigger and greater. Uh, and more powerful. So in order to deal with this, they release the Superman Zero. I think that's what they're calling him. It's basically Superman uh, Prototype Zero before uh, Keenan. Oh, and just a reminder, this book is being written by Gene Luen Yang, pencils by Billy Tan. Anyway, uh, they release him. He is very erratic and uh, doesn't have those Superman morals. He's kind of throwing the monster around uh, sections of the city not really caring if he does damage uh so they're trying to deal so the justice league of china is trying to deal with these two threats of the giant turtle monster and this rogue superman agent one big thing we also get from this is we learn the origin story of the wonder woman of china turns out she is a character of folklore uh, I and I'm not gonna give away too much because I think it's kind of a, it's kind of neat how that stuff happens um, and of course this issue ends with a reveal of Keenan learning about what's happened to his mother, uh, which readers have known about for a bit, but this is his first revelation on it. And it's a nice way of handling the re revelation. Uh, I don't, again, don't want to give away too much here, but, uh, I like the way that it was handled. I am still really, really enjoying this book a lot. I think that they are doing a lot of really clever stuff. They are doing a great job of creating their own little Justice League uh, 
and and they're still tapping into sort of the heart of these characters like you have the the batman of china is a character who has gotten his skills by going to a school to become a batman and so he like went through all the training and had the dedication and had to be like the best of the best to become batman uh you have this wonder woman who is still tapped into legends and magic uh, you have a Superman who, like, yes, Superman is fantasy, but there is still, like, a, there's a very strong science fiction element to his power set, and there's tapping a lot into that. Uh, I don't really know the story of this Flash. I guess she showed up in the actual Flash comics, but I assume she's uh, tapped into the Speed Force somehow. But it's these really great new versions and new takes on these characters without reinventing the ones that already exist. Uh, those ones are off doing their own thing just fine. Uh, but we're getting these new iterations that are fleshed out. This book has really found its footing and is, has taken off running. They are dipping into uh, some very interesting ideals and, and beliefs, like uh, all these Buddhist like Buddhist beliefs become important in this book. Uh, it seems like they, and obviously I don't know a lot about Chinese culture, it seems as though they are being very respectful to that in everything that I've seen and read. Uh, there's been no big controversy about it, so I don't think they're really pissing people off in that regard. Uh, I think that more people should be reading this book. I want it to last a long time. I don't know what the readership numbers are. You know, haven't heard anything about it getting canceled, and I certainly hope that it does not. Uh, it seems like they are crafting their own little story here, and with the way stuff is set up, you know, you can have Chinese supervillains attacking for years and years to come. Uh, the fact that Robin is a robot is also super great. I'm a big old fan of that. Uh, so, issue number 12, continuing on a strong streak, some really great revelations, uh, really great expanding of the mythos of this world. The art is good. Uh, there's some times where I'm not uh, the world's biggest fan of some of the faces, but when at other times they are very expressive and and really well done. Uh, so yeah, and the 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 giant monsters of this book are beautifully drawn, very well rendered. I think if you are not checking out New Superman, do yourself a favor and pick up the first twelve issues. I'm sure the first uh, trade is out by now. Check it out. Have yourself a good time and read it. Come on, guys, read it. What are, what are you waiting for? Read it right now. Come on. Come on. So, yeah. Speaking of another book we read, we are now going to jump into our joint review, and that is the long-anticipated. I'm trying to pull it up here as I'm stalling a little bit more. It is... No, where is it? There it is. Dark Knight. Uh, Dark Days, sorry, Dark Days, The Forge, which is the kickoff of Scott Snyder's big Batman event. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about this book? This book was pretty good. Um, basically, it deals with an investigation into different exotic metals of the DC Universe, uh, including those like the Nymph Metal that's uh, part of Hawkman uh, mythology, uh, as well as from Scott Snyder's own Batman run, the Dionysium, um, which allowed uh, Bruce to Bruce and the Joker to recover. Spoilers. Um, 
and um, and other such stuff. This is something that's basically stretching across the history and mythology of the DC universe. Many different factions were at play in this issue. Some familiar, maybe some unfamiliar, like the Immortal Men. Um, but uh, ultimately, this whole event really centers on Batman and an investigation that he's been working on that, as far as I know, uh, hasn't necessarily been the focus of any previous issue to this. Um, but... Uh, makes it, but this issue makes it seem like it's something that he's been keeping tabs on for years. Yeah, I guess that whole making the key and throwing it, having it launched into the sun, is something that actually happened in a book at one point. Really? Yeah, you read about like someone that's actually that's huh, that's gonna, a, that's an event that. that I don't know when it happened, but somebody mentioned in a in another somewhere on the internet that that's something that has been brought up before. I'm gonna have to follow up on that. Um, that being said, I liked it. I, I can definitely like, there's def there. I feel like there's such a thing as event fatigue. Um, I think that DC has been a little sparing of late when it comes to like major events. Um, and I've overall been doing a good job with them when they do do them. And I remember when I came, when I first really got into DC, it was with infinite crisis or just the, the stuff leading up to it. And to me at the time when I was reading it, however old I was back then, uh, I was like really into like the cosmic level, like, you know, high stakes scenarios that were going on. Really, this book is called Dark Days and the event's called like Dark Knights Metals or whatever. But like, this is a crisis book as far as DC is concerned. Um, one, it deals with, again, the greater DC mythology. Uh, it's leading up to things involving the multiverse. Uh, and of course, there's a big reveal towards the end with the thing that Batman's keeping in Superman's Fortress of Solitude, which ties uh, it might tie directly to like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I think it does. Um, but I remember it from Infinite Crisis, which is that spoilers giant tower um, that's being hidden in Superman's cave. I have a little nitpick on that, but um, overall, the execution of the book I found to be enjoyable. David, any thoughts from you? So, yeah, there's a lot going on in this book. The, there's a lot of great talent behind this book. Obviously, Scott Snyder, uh, James Tinian. You've got three great artists kind of tag teaming throughout this issue. Uh, there's some a lot of great stuff set up. Um, I do like that, yes, this is an event book, and you have stuff set up with all these characters very smartly, like the stuff with Mr. Terrific. Uh, I think that the... Um, oh man, what's in that pod? Uh, I think the Hawkman stuff could be really interesting and also potentially really confusing. Uh, it could be really convoluted and might not fully pay off, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not. I'm not passing judgment on that at this point. Uh, I just love this whole idea of like Batman has been studying immortality, and and you know, Dionysium and all this stuff like the talons used and all that. And it's just all these crazy tie-ins. Uh, it's, it's really, yeah, it, this is a crisis book. Like you said, there's, there's something big happening. Uh, the green lanterns are concerned about what's going on. Obviously Batman's concerned. Uh, he's been studying stuff behind the league's back. He's been keeping stuff behind the league's back. So let's just like go ahead and talk about for if people, if you've not read this book, uh, I would say skip ahead a few minutes, but let's go ahead and talk about this reveal of what Batman's been keeping in his secret bat cave. 
and I've been vamping long enough for people to jump ahead, but he has the Joker in prison. Which, as that little storyline was going on of Duke and Hal going down that cave, I'm like, it's going to be the Joker. I, like mm-hmm. I mean, the second the creepy narrative boxes popped up, it was like, who else is it going to be? Well, and I like how they would occasionally, as it was going on, some of the dialogue would like change into the Joker type font for just a second. And then mm-hmm. like it happened more and more as they got closer and closer. Yeah, and what's what's curious to me about one is where is this taking place in the overall timeline? I know that's something that you can't think too hard about with comic books, but he does make reference to current events going on. Um, but also, what was I going to say? Crap. Um, with the Joker, uh, well, one, I know because in, in Tom King's Batman book, he's about to launch the War of Joke and Riddles involving the Joker. Uh, I know that DC but does there are have three the, Jokers. The three Jokers thing going on. Apparently, Scott Snyder said that this event will have nothing to do with that. So that from a narrative standpoint, they're treating this as the Joker. Is the Joker appearing in Tom King's next arc? The same Joker as the one that's being kept prison here? If so, again, where does this timeline fall? I'm getting the vibe that Joker has been in this, um, has been held captive for a long time. So I'm just kind of curious where it all fits together. Um, but uh, yeah, the I mean the Joker being there, it's interesting because you don't usually think of Joker being on a cosmic scale, you know, uh, being involved in cosmic level stuff. Um, but with elements like the Dionysium and how that impacted it, I mean, I guess one thing I'm trying to think of is, you know, the Dionysium resurrected him or whatever, like made him whole at you know at the end of the uh, Endgame arc on Snyder's Batman. But I don't think even over the course of the Gordon stuff and by the end of the run that Joker was ever revealed to be like like he meets him at the bench and like he seems like he's rehabilitated in a certain way. Like you don't get the the vibe that like, hey, he's a little off, but he's not the Joker. Like what happened between that point and this point where he's formally the Joker again um, is what I'm curious about. Maybe it'll be revealed over the course of this event or maybe I've missed something between the end of Snyder's run and the beginning of this. Um, but how he plays into all of it, I am very curious. Also, they keep uh, highlighting that giant, which looks to be a Batman statue with all the people barbed wire to it. Mm-hmm. That's a creepy visual. Yes, um, but and again, how there's a there's a what works with this issue that maybe shouldn't was that there are so many disparate elements from like the fact that like we don't visit Hawkman in present day. It gave us a primer on Hawkman's history. And that apparently a lot of it has been tying into what this event is all about. Um, you get bits from Snyder's Batman run. Um, but then you also get little moments like Duke punking Green Lantern. Uh, and the whole, like, I thought you were per- a week against Yellow or something like that. Um, which is always a hoot. But you get other cool characters that you don't see very often. Like Mr. Terrific, uh, who apparently, like he mentions, that he's been hanging out in a different universe. Yeah, that was really um, interesting. I was which, super interested in that. Unless he has left and hung, is hanging on a different universe, I believe in like the Earth Two comics that that DC was doing, he did jump over to that Earth at some point. So I don't know if that's the Earth that they're referencing. The be. whole thing that he's been working on Batman with is that like there's certain reverberations echoing across, and they're trying to see if it was happening across multiple Earths. Um, so that'll be interesting. Apparently, what? this is all leading to something called the Dark Multiverse. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. 
What's in the pod, man? What's in the pod? Oh, that Mr. Terrific and Batman are looking at? Yeah. It's plastic, man. Is it? Oh, it totally is. Yeah. Which I'm trying to think. I can't think of the last time we saw Plastic Man since the New 52 began. I'm oh, sure he crazy. showed up, but um, you know, talking about how like how he's unstable, but we'll need him. What they'll need Plastic Man for for this event, dude? Who knows? Uh, who knows? But I love knows? that it's Plastic Man. Yeah. Uh, so this is a book that like is dealing with a lot of high stakes, but it's leaning into some of like the ridiculousness. It doesn't shy away from ridiculous elements of DC lore. Like Hawkman's yeah. history is kind of ridiculous. The fact that Green Lantern is supposed to be weak to yellow is kind of ridiculous. The fact that Plastic, Plastic Man, Man is going to play an important role is ridiculous. But it it works, and I kind of I rag on Snyder sometimes, but I don't know if it was with James Tinian backing him up on this. Um, the Snyderisms, like the Snyder captions in the narrative, like mostly through Hawkman, uh, were pretty toned down. Like I found them, you know, serviceable to the story. The dialogue was fun. Every character just seemed to have like a pretty unique voice overall. Yeah. Um, and it effectively with the art, along with the artist, you know, pulling a lot of heavy duty with the art, um, the storytelling, <laughs> um, you know, effectively captured that, you know, the, the rising intensity of what's going on. Cause as much as like, this is introducing us to this event. It really is the trailer to the main event. So it, it's not, it's not going to tip his hand on anything, but it did an effective job getting us invested with what's going to happen. So if they can continue this, um, I'll be pretty excited. I kind of wish that it was just Andy Kubert through the whole issue. Um, the art changes weren't like super jarring, but it was still kind of like, there wasn't a whole lot of narrative reason for why they were there other than mostly tackling different story parts um but even then like it didn't you know it, it didn't seem to really matter um it was a stronger showing from john romita jr who i've been a big fan of but like haven't enjoyed a lot of his dc stuff it feels like he hasn't quite gotten his uh, cemented on a particular book he's just been jumping around the dc universe uh and like a lot of his cover work like there's the cover for this issue with batman superman that i personally just i don't like the look of it but uh i've like I said, I've been a big fan of him. Uh, and I've also not been a big fan of Jem Lee. Uh, probably my whole comic reading career, but like I appreciate his position in the comic and comic history and his art skills, but it's just not a style that usually gels with me. Um, that he, But he did an overall good job. Um, but like I said, I wish it had been Andy Kubert the whole way through. But Dave, we're going to be getting some Greg Capullo. Yes, we Something will. Greg Capullo at the other side. Yes, we will. I'm very excited. I think overall this is a very strong issue. It seems like we're leading into something that's going to be interesting at the very least, entertaining, hopefully. And we will, of course, talk about it all here. But we're oh, running... Sorry. My, my little <laughs> nitpick. So Batman comes to Superman and says, I need to get you to give me a room, but you can never look at it. Or, or go or, or go or access the room or anything and Superman complies he like, trusts I Batman. get trust I get trust and I get friends Batman isn't the kind of character that you like he's a good guy overall but he's always got plans with him plans if this is retaining some history from the previous DC universe then like the whole Bab Tower of Babel thing where like he had kept dossiers on every you know superhero on their weaknesses that was kind of a big deal people didn't really trust him after that um but also the thing that he kept there, that's not a, it's not a small box. He kept the giant tower 
in the fortress. So A. Dude, the fortress how did is. Get it there. The f- He's Batman. I get it. Don't, He's Batman. Don't, don't and pull I know this it's, crap. It's comics, everybody. But it was. It still, to me, was just like Superman gave you a room, no questions asked. Yep. And also, how did you get in there? How did he get it? I mean, unless he teleported in, which is it's probably what answer. happened. You know how if it wasn't teleported in, how you know? I'm just cu- I'm curious. I'm not. I you said, know it was what? A minor here's here's. I would I would calm down on it because I'm sure we're going to have narration boxes in the next issue of Batman being like, this is the thing that blah, 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 explanation, but I moved it here for blah, 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 thanks to blah, blah, blah. Like, there will probably be a little bit of explanation on it. But also at the same time, does it matter how we got it there ultimately? Yes. No, yes. it but just matters that it's I, there. I will, I will let it go for now. <sighs> okay. But I'll well, bring up in every episode of the, of the show that we do it. That's completely unnecessary. We're running out of time, so I'm going to ask a very important question of us all. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Yes, and we like to recommend nerdy things here at the end of the show. Nick, do you have a recommendation this week? I recommend that we don't let this go, but uh, barring that, I don't actually have a recommendation this week. Um, So, David, what are you recommending? My recommendation is something you can find on Netflix as it's pulling up for me. I'll make sure I give you the correct title. It is Batman the Movie. This is the Batman film for the 1960s TV show starring Adam West with Burt Ward. It's super ridiculous and campy and a lot of fun, and you should watch it in memory of Adam West. This is the movie where he runs around with a bomb Oh, yes. He doesn't know how to get rid of. He doesn't know how to get rid of the bomb. It's, guys, if you haven't seen it, he's running through the streets with a with a giant cartoon bomb over his head with a with a burning wick. It is the best thing in the world and worth watching the entire movie for. Well, that is going to do it for us here on the show. You can, of course, always find us over at heckyeahcomics.com or follow us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics and send us your emails at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. You can find me around the internet under the username davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. And you can find Nick refusing to let it go and maybe starving to death because he forgets that he needs his hands to eat food. It's a tragic end for Mr. Nick. You can find us here next week. Same heck yeah time, same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.